Nedarim Perik Zayin Mishnah Aleph Seven One, and the topic of this chapter are Nedarim vows which restrict a wife in various ways, and that vow is in place thanks to the husband; it's his fault. And the question is: Is such a vow grounds for divorce, and under what scenario, under what circumstances? So to understand um, the whole Perik, we need to just do a quick review of how Nedarim work and Neder a vow is when an object is forbidden to a person, the prohibition goes on the object, and it says that object is forbidden to the person as if it were like sacrificial meat, totally forbidden. Which means that a netter can really take one of two forms. It can either be, I could say that your pen is forbidden to me, meaning I can't get benefit from your pen, and that pen is as if it were sacrificial meat. And the other possibility is I could say that my pen is forbidden to you as if it were a carbon. And again, and again, since it's my pen, you can't get benefit from it. What I cannot do is say that your pen is forbidden to you. Since it's not my pen, and you could do what you please, and I have no authority to restrict you. So there's, therefore, there's no way to make such a netter. So therefore, that means that although the wife in these scenarios is going to be restricted by some netter, there's no way for a man, a husband, to directly say, you know, you're not allowed to eat cherry pie. That just wouldn't work. What he could say is that you're not allowed to eat any of my cherry pie, and that would be binding. Okay, the structure again would be my cherry pie is forbidden to you as if it were a korban. Okay, so now <clears throat> we'll have to understand all the Mishnayas in this chapter as being um, legally binding Nadarim that meet that basic structure of a person restricting um, some benefit to himself um, or something that he owns to somebody else. The truth is, however, that there are two ways that a husband could indirectly restrict his wife through a nether. One way is, if a person would say, let's say I say, I'm forbidden from getting benefit from you. So then, if I make you the object, which is forbidden to me, so then that would be a binding nether. <clears throat> um, and while, um, in the case of a husband and wife, if you would make such a nether, it actually wouldn't... Um, it wouldn't be binding in as much as she has a shebut on his body and his person. Um, he couldn't say, like, you know, sleeping together is forbidden by force of a netter in which I say getting physical benefit from you is forbidden to me because she has such a claim. She has a right to that. Um, but we'll see in the Mishnah here there is a way he can do it on other things. The other way that a person could indirectly um, restrict someone else through a netter is in the case of a husband and wife, since the husband is authorized to be Mayfair, to annul his wife's vows on the day that he hears about them. So if she makes a vow and says, I'm not eating any cherry pie, and the structure, she takes a formal vow, she says, cherry pie is forbidden to me as a Corbin. The husband who hears that could say, no, you're not restricted from being cherry pie, I'm annulling that vow. But if he doesn't, so then he essentially is in the Kayam, he upholds the vow, and therefore she becomes a forbidden from eating that cherry pie. And since that cherry pie is restricted to her because of him, because he could have annulled it, so we're saying indirectly it's as if he did it. So <clears throat> we'll see in the Mishnah as the follow cases like that. Okay, but our first case here um, is actually, the case is sounds straightforward enough. The truth is there's like a whole world of technicalities to make this um, Mishnah really work out and make sense legally. Um, um, but before I let you into that, let's just, I'll see the gist of the mission, and then we'll go back and talk about all the technicalities involved. So the gist of the mission says, Hamadres ishto melahanos lo, if a man takes a nether 
by which he says that a woman can't get ben- his wife can't get benefit from him, so he won't give her any food anymore. So then, at shloshim yom yamid parnas, if the neder is just covering just a thirty day period, so then he can establish someone else to feed her, and it's going to work. Yasser mekain, but if the period of that vow extends beyond 30 days, then Yossi Vitz and Ksuba, then he has to divorce her and give her a Ksuba. Rabbi Yehuda is going to argue and say that the time frame is a little longer uh, when it comes to the wife of Cohen, because Rabbi Yehuda is concerned, and he'll be concerned about this um, in the next mission as well, when it comes to a husband and wife where he is a Yisrael, so he could essentially remarry his wife after divorcing her, so it's not totally final by having a divorce. Whereas a Kohen who divorces his wife, she becomes a Grusha, he can never remarry her. And that being the case, Rebutu wants more time and special rules to apply to Kohanim. And therefore he says, be Yisrael, when it comes to the husband being a, a Yisrael, a non-Kohen, Chodesh Echad Yikayem, yeah, one month it could go on for. There's a Machlokas actually in the Gemara, if he's arguing at this point, if one month means maybe 29 days in such a month as opposed to 30, put that aside. Ushnayim, but if it goes into the second month, Yotzi Vitzen Ksuba, once it goes beyond the first month, he has to divorce her. Vukohenes, but if she's the wife of a Kohen, oftentimes Kohenes refers to the daughter of a Kohen, here it for sure means the wife of a Kohen, of course. So Ushnayim Yikayim, this can go on for two months, Ushlosha, or even three months, but at the end of the third month, then Yotzi Vitz and Ksuba, if it's more than three months, he would have to divorce her. That's the gist of the Mishnah. Now, let's go back and discuss a number of technical points. The first is, I said that a man who takes a nether that, let's say he says that Tash, that, that, that sleeping with you is forbidden to, the benefit of sleeping with you is forbidden to me. So that's not going to work because she has a reciprocal right of sleeping with him and he has no power to stop that. Okay, so that wouldn't work. She has a shibut on his guf. But, when it comes to feeding her, it's not quite the same. Although he has an obligation to feed her, remember, there was a quid pro quo in which he was providing her with mazonos, food, and she was in, in exchange giving her masiyadeh, her labor output. But really, if she could um, work and feed herself, so then that could work. And therefore, if he would make a netter that he won't feed her, things can still provide with food, I should say. So then it could still work out that he takes the netter that all my food is forbidden to you. And she can, and so he can, that can be upheld. He won't give her any of his food, but she can still be fed and he won't, he won't be hungry. She won't be hungry, go hungry. And her obligation of bazonus will still not, you know, be totally, um, ruined to the point that they have to get divorced because she can work and that work can pay for her own food. Therefore, it could it could work out technically. Now, if it's true, so the Mishnah says, if you read further, Hamadiras Ishto Milhanas Lo, a man takes a vow that she won't get benefit from his, let's say, food. So Adshloshim Yom for up to thirty days, Yaamid Parnas, he can establish someone to provide her with food. Now, someone's not stringing together, says the Gemara, because if he's providing her with a third party to give her food, so then he's doing the food provisioning, and therefore it's not about her masiyadeh. So what's going on over here? So the case is more complex. It has to be where? The rule is when she was living with her in her father's home. So they were richer people and they would spend, for argument's sake, $30 a me- on a dinner. And that was like the kind of dinner she was accustomed to. Now she married this new husband. The husband is not as wealthy as her father. And therefore he only could spend $20 a meal on for dinner. So now the rule is that Ola Imo Ve'eno Yuredes Imo, that she is to be maintained at a material, you know, stature, status that is the greater of how she was in her father's house or in her husband's house. So if the husband's rich, 
she has to get a higher standard of living. If the father had been richer, the, fa- the husband is required to keep her at her old standard of living like she had when she was with her father. Notwithstanding that, if they eat together, so she eats whatever he eats. So even though he's eating $20 meals, that's okay. He can feed her just $20 meals, and that's, you know, that's, that's acceptable, even though she was used to having $30 meals. But now, if he's not eating with her, he's just pr- saying she's on her own, so then she's entitled to get $30 meals. And now if, let's say, hypothetically, her masyadeh, her labor, can only enable her to purchase $20 meals, that's the budget she could afford if she's paying for them herself with her own work. That means he, the husband, has to supplement the extra 10 to make sure she has a full $30 meal, like she was used to in her father's house, and which she's entitled to under the principle of Ola Imo Veeno Yuridesimo. She has to be provided for the standard of living that she had before. That being the case, the husband, although his nether could stand and he won't be providing with food because she can have um, her her own output can provide for her, still he needs to ensure that she gets now the higher standard of living, the extra $10. How will he do that? He has to get a third party to provide it to her. But he certainly can't appoint like a shaliach. He can't tell somebody, you know, you should give my wife this extra money, this extra food. That will never work because shluchah shalom kamoso, it's like him doing it. If he would tell someone to give this wife, the extra food. It's like him doing it himself, violation of the nether. And therefore, it had to be a scenario where he didn't instruct anybody specifically. He just said, you know, around the poker table with his buddies, he says, whoever provides for my wife won't lose out. You know, he's not telling one particular person to go provide for her. He just says, guys, my wife needs food, and whoever provides it for her, I'll sort you out later. So he sorts things out. So therefore, he didn't make that person who's providing the parnas, the person who's providing the wife of the food, he didn't... Um, give a specific instruction to, and therefore it's not considered a shaliach, and therefore it's not him doing it. That's the case of our Mishnah. So the Mishnah says that can go on for up to 30 days. Why? Because it's really humiliating for the wife to now sort of be exiled from her husband. If it was a short-term thing, it's reconcilable. If it's more than 30 days, people will find out about it. It's humiliating, and it sort of makes the marriage irreconcilable. We don't want that to happen to the poor wife, to be sort of humiliated like that. And therefore, if it's more than 30 days... Um, then it's grounds for divorce. That's what the Mishnah says here. One more time, I'll show you, read inside to you. Hamadras ishto lo, a man who takes a vow that his stuff won't benefit her, meaning his food. yom, if it's up to 30 days, yamid parnas, he could establish a third party to provide for the extra food she needs, if that's the scenario we need to provide for. Yasser mekin, but more than 30 days, yotzi vitin ksuba, he divorces her and gives her her ksuba. Grounds for divorce. Now the truth is, by the way, that this expression, yotzi vitin ksuba, Divorce her and give her a ksuba is um, used in a number of Mishnahis throughout the Masechta, and it's a machlokas in the Rishonim what that exactly that means. Does it mean it's grounds for divorce, which means that she could take him to Bezid and say, I want a divorce, and the Bezid would say, yeah, you just give your wife what to get, um, and he's supposed to listen? Um, or does it really mean that they force him to divorce her? And um, the difference is, essentially, if they use words to tell him, you know, we really should do this, or if they use sticks and they basically beat him to a pulp until he says, yes, I'm going to divorce my wife. So the first being just, you know, telling him to, the second actually forcing him to. So that's a machlokas roshonim, exactly what this means over here, but uh, be that as it may, the point is that one thirty days is humiliating for the wife to the point that uh, she doesn't have to put up with it anymore, and now it's grounds for divorce. Just note again, we had said in previous Mishnayas that a person could feed a husband, uh, feed his wife through a third party, the Raman Paskin that's permitted to do, you know, at least from every Shabbos to every Shabbos, but not eat with her. Um, and more than that, we saw that things like uh, the the sailor could be away for six months at a stretch, and that's sort of tenable uh, as, a, as a marriage. The point here is that 
that's just how their marriage was. But him, by taking such a vow against her, clearly he doesn't like her anymore, and she's humiliated, and it feels terrible, and therefore the marriage is, you know, not a, not a marriage anymore. She's embarrassed, and she doesn't put up with it, and therefore it's grounds for divorce. Rabbi Huda is going to say, well, a little different. Rabbi Huda Omer, be Yisrael Chodesh Echad. He says, if it comes to a non-Kohen wife, one month is acceptable. And again, perhaps one month means even 29 days is the max. Yikayem, then he'll stay together. And that he can continue, he, the husband, can continue to feed the wife of the parnas, etc. Ushnaim, but if it's, and if it's two months, and that's too much, and therefore Yotzi, if ksuba, he has to divorce her, give her ksuba, even at the beginning of the second month. So, okay, either like, let's call it 31 days, even maybe 30. Uva Kohenes, when it comes to the wife of a Kohen, Shnaim Yikayem, Ushlosha, it could be for two months or even three months like this, we're not going to force a divorce yet. Um, but more than that, more than three months, then he'll be forced to give her a divorce and uh, and give her ksuba as well because she did nothing wrong. It's his fault. Um, you just note, by the way, last thing, that the Mishnah uses, it's not exactly consistent the way Rabbi Yudah talks. The din is clear. For a Kohen, it's three months. Up three, three months and more than that is no good. And for Yisrael, it's three months and more than that is no good. But the words of the Mishnah just don't read exactly like that. Well, that's the pshat. The words of the Mishnah, I just want to point out to you, it says... So one, yes, keep, and two, already divorced me in the beginning of the second month. But then he says, Two, keep, and three, go out. But here it means three, not the beginning of the third, but the end of the third month. That's the Pshat in the Mishnah. Halacha, however, is not like Rabbi Yehud at all. Like the Tanakama, which means that um, it's no difference between a Kohen and a non-Kohen. Um, but 30 days would be the maximum in this scenario that we're going to have to put up with.